2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes
1: everything.
3: Paper Ghosts is a production of iHeartRadio. In the very first episode of Paper Ghosts, I talked about the importance of hearing from loved ones in a missing person or murder case. We rely on them to introduce us to and humanize a victim, share details about a life that was lost, But more significant to me than anything else, a life that was lived. As a victim's advocate, talking to families and friends is the most moving aspect of any story I cover. And always my starting point into a case. That's about when she's in high school.
4: Yeah, this is about that time, too, that the picture's taken.
3: Tammy Zawicki's loved ones painted a beautiful picture of who she was, allowing me a glimpse into who she might have become. Because of time constraints, many of these stories didn't make it into the third season of Paper Ghosts. But I thought it would be a disservice if they went unheard. So I'm sharing them here to help us better understand the amazing young woman behind the headlines.
4: That picture up there, that was taken at the beach. We were, or that was our uh, summer vacation. That's the whole family.
3: How old is she there?
4: Oh, uh, I guess she was about maybe 16, 14, 15, 16. She liked her long hair.
3: Tammy Jozewicki was born on March 13th, 1971 in Pleasant Hill, Pennsylvania. Her mom, Joanne, describes her as a good-natured, independent person who was rarely seen without her camera or her cat. Tell me about that picture there.
4: That's her cat. She never lived without a cat. She snuck one into her dorm room.
3: She snuck a cat into it? Yes. A... Really? Yes. And did she ever get caught?
4: Nope. And the one she st- stuck in there, she managed to keep it in there because her best friend was the uh, dorm monitor or whatever it was, and she wouldn't tell on her. She was just a very, uh, she was an easy going person.
3: Everyone I spoke with described Tammy as audacious while also being slightly rebellious, not to mention a lot of fun. She was the only daughter in a family of six, something her brother Todd thinks truly shaped who she was.
5: Tammy was one of these sweet but also tough kind of girls, right? The toughness, I think, is partly her personality, partly uh, dealing with three brothers, but she was just a truly kind person who um, had really good friends. She was involved in music for a while. She did color guard in, in the band, played a lot of sports, but just a very fun, adventurous person who was open to new experiences, made friends easily, was a natural leader. She actually, I think, helped found her high school soccer team because she wanted to play soccer and they didn't have one. So she fou- helped founded it became the co-captain when she was little. She used to play uh, on boys' teams, you know, until basically she got to high school and they created a girls' team.
2: God bless. The the woman who coached the team knew almost nothing about it. She'd been the cheerleading coach. Um, And I look back and I think, well, thank goodness she had the energy to do this.
3: Amanda Potts played soccer with Tammy at Eastside High School in Taylor, South Carolina, a suburb of Greenville. The women's sports programs were still new when they attended. But Tammy, who played for years on rec teams, was a standout.
2: She was a fierce midfielder. She had endless energy. I learned what midfield meant by watching Tammy play, because she could really make the plays happen.
3: Amanda described Tammy as the opposite of a Southern belle, which, she added, got you noticed in South Carolina in the mid-80s.
2: We had to wear these short shorts. Oh my God. The team uniforms were yellow jerseys with like blue pinstripes and these blue shorts that barely covered anything. And the poor cheerleading coach, now soccer coach used to yell, manage your shorts, ladies. And Tammy thought that was hilarious. Um, And I can remember her teasing us, manage your shorts, manage your shorts.
3: Soccer was an important part of Tammy's life in high school. She also loved photography and became the yearbook photo editor. And her beloved 35mm camera was never far from her side. One thing is clear from the many stories her friends shared. Tammy liked to have fun. She enjoyed life. But in the midst of all these sweet-natured stories, a common thread came through.
2: God, I remember a story about a time when she was walking down the hallway with a friend and a guy was sort of harassing them. and she turned around and just kind of decked him. I don't know if she, I think she just pushed him hard and he left them alone after that. How can you forget a girl who, again, we're talking the mid to late 1980s and Tammy, she knew what she was worth. Do you know what I mean? Like she was not going to be harassed.
3: Within all that, Tammy had a mind of her own and, Joanne explained, she was fiercely driven. She rarely got caught up in any drama and instead stayed focused on her future.
4: Well, she did very well with writing. Writing was something that she, uh, from the time she was in second grade or something, she really enjoyed writing. Also, photography. She did some very, very, very good photography. Photography. So, she was headed uh, in that direction, uh, I could see her for one of the magazines, you know, writing and pictures and things like that, and I think that's what she would have been happy with doing, and that was kind of what she was was looking at. Every opportunity she had, she, uh, she did. she took a lot of pictures.
3: While many of her peers stayed in the South when it came time to attend college, choosing schools like Clemson or the University of South Carolina, Tammy decided on a different route, once again expressing her independence. Classmates say they initially had no idea where Grinnell was, but that they weren't surprised Tammy had decided to go, mainly because she longed for a different experience. And so in 1989, Tammy packed up her belongings and moved to Iowa to study art history and Spanish.
5: She took academics seriously. And we were often studying either at the library or in a dorm room or in a lounge. But that was sort of the way it was at Cornell. People were having fun, but it was also an academically challenging school. And you went there because you wanted to learn and you were ready to work hard.
3: That's Jen Nelson. Tammy's closest friend from college
5: she was incredibly friendly and people were drawn to her she was always there for a laugh she wasn't judgmental she she just liked to have fun um, she also took it seriously academically we all did at that school but it was um, I liked studying with her I liked hanging out with her I liked dancing with her she was the kind of person that just brought the party to whatever conversation you were having.
6: I think what I remember most isn't as much about her, her play on the field, but just the energy that she brought to the team and the fun and the camaraderie.
3: A lot of Tammy's college life revolved around sports, soccer, rugby, photographing various teams. Most of her friends also knew her as a teammate, including Marta, who was co-captain of the soccer team at Grinnell and called Tammy by her nickname, Z.
6: So we had this large group of freshmen on the soccer team, and she played for two years as a soccer player. And then she switched over to rugby. And that was sort of no surprise to a lot of us that she wanted to get in and play maybe what some would deem an even tougher tougher sport with rugby. Um, so she switched over. And then she became our photographer for, for a number of sports, but including our women's soccer team. And so we also have this really clear memory, or I do, of Tammy, being on the sidelines, still in her soccer shorts, but with a camera around her neck and just, you know, circling the field and taking photos of us.
3: Amy Joe was the other captain of Grinnell's soccer team. She and Marta asked to be interviewed together and wasted no time swapping stories about Tammy.
7: Marta and I and Tammy were, we, there were eight of us freshmen in the fall of 1989. And so we all started the same year. And we were the biggest recruited class that Grinnell College soccer, women's soccer, had ever had. So we were special because it was only the fourth year of the program, maybe. But I actually met Tammy on a, a recruiting visit to Grinnell. We went, um, I went out with her and our, uh, another soccer player at the time. We went to the bar.
3: <laughs> Marta and Amy Joe further described Tammy as someone who, quote, brought the fun. It's a sentiment echoed by pretty much everyone I spoke with, including another college friend, Stacy Pappas.
8: I remember one beautiful day, I was uh, inside working, and I heard a, a bit of a commotion outside, and it was Tammy, and she was just diving into a pile of leaves and just playing and. Just like, like, hey, come out, come out, all you people studying. She was joyful, you know. Just
7: um, she, when she was on the sideline, she would be um, starting a cheer or making up a funny rhyme or doing some kind of a <laughs> like a song or doing something to just keep everybody laughing. Oh, and also her her pregame uh, breakfast on the road when we would travel. She, we were chatting earlier, Marta and I were remembering she would or always order like a huge stack of chocolate chip pancakes. (laughs) And just, um, you know, while we were all trying to like eat something that was like a good thing to eat before a game, she would just be pouring on the maple syrup and coach Coach would just roll his eyes like, oh boy. (laughs) You know, but yeah, she just went for it.
3: Hearing these anecdotes about Tammy takes her out of the true crime headline space and humanizes her memory and who she was which is something that is very important to me personally, as well as with my work. 30 years have passed, and yet listening to her friends talk about her, you'd think it was yesterday. Losing someone to murder can have that kind of lasting influence on your life. It almost intensifies those memories, illuminates them.
2: I can see from here how she was so special how she had such a full life in front of her in a way that at the time I could, I knew I was sad, obviously. But I think I'm sadder now than I was then, if that makes
3: sense. It makes perfect sense because in one way, there is the what could have been way of thinking. All that was missed. All that never was.
5: As time went on, it was easier. I didn't want to go back to Grinnell. I didn't want to go to the reunions. I didn't want to think about it. And then I got to the point where, you know, I've got kids now. I have a teenage daughter blonde ponytail running down the soccer field. And, of course, I thought of Tammy as I coached her. Every time I'd see her running down the field after a soccer ball and turn with a big smile on her face after making a play, it made me happy thinking about Tammy and thinking about the fact that, that that spirit was living on in other people.
10: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
3: Something I've thought about while researching this story is the fact that what happened to Tammy happened to so many young women during that period. And... Albeit in smaller numbers, it still happens today. A few days after Tammy's body was found in September 1992, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune wrote an opinion piece about Tammy's case, titled, Never More Free or More in Danger. Reading it was edifying. The op-ed said, in part, that Tammy's life was, quote, an example of the freedom women could only dream of two generations back. Her death is a reminder that in this age of freedom, women must still live in the bondage of fear. Here's Stacy Pappas again.
8: I just think that, um, first of all, none of us are safe while these people are prowling our world. What happened to her should never happen, but obviously it does. We live in a world that it has is a very broken and damaged world, and. What can we do to make this a safer place for all of us, for this next generation of young women who are graduating from school? I think that we have an obligation to each other and to the next generation to to do what we can do to heal this broken world.
3: After Tammy's death, some of her friends formed a group called Fearless. Its goal was to help empower women on and off Grinnell's campus and ensure that all drivers were safe on the roadways. The leaders of Fearless used Tammy's death as a catalyst for a nationwide initiative, a movement to install emergency call boxes along major highways. With regards to the violence Tammy suffered, the group's leader said, we have the job, that's our job, to make sure that our generation doesn't have to get used to that. That our children don't have to get used to that. And our children's children don't have to get used to that.
2: We thought we were safe. We were nearly done. We studied abroad and, you know, had boyfriends and breakups and everything. And we were supposed to be taking on the world. And somebody killed her. The story has to be about. A real person who was proud and smart and and fierce and, and not always perfect and funny, who loved her cats and, and broke up with her boyfriend, that person is the one who was killed. Her death means something.
3: Last year was the 30th anniversary of Tammy's death. It was difficult for many of her friends and family to wade through memories, open up to me about Tammy and her life, not to mention the pain they all went through. I immensely appreciate the trust in me to share such a personal and painful part of their lives and Tammy's life, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Some questions, even those that seem rather ordinary, can be the toughest to answer. What would have Tammy gone on to do?
2: Oh, heck. I mean, I don't know. I know she wanted to do something with Spanish and I wouldn't be surprised at all if she was a teacher, a Spanish teacher or a Spanish prof with a sideline photography business and a couple of kids. <laughs> I think she would have a family. I see her doing a lot like I did,
6: becoming a coach (laughs) and coaching her kids, you know, sports year round, you know, especially in soccer. You know, I think she would be a successful photographer. You know, I think whatever field she would have eventually gone into, I think she would have been the top of her field. She'd be eating chocolate chip pancakes.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that she would be married and be a soccer mom. And still be rocking the Umbros or the (laughs) soccer shorts, driving a minivan, going to games, taking pictures of her own kids, playing. I see Tammy as a mom, an artist, a photographer, and just, you know, joyful. Yeah, I think
6: I would like to think of her as having traveled more of the world and bringing her photography
7: around the globe. And um, And dancing. And And dancing. dancing Yeah. Yeah.
3: A word we often hear within the victim side of the true crime space is closure. How the solving of a cold case can maybe shut the door for family members and friends and all the evil that happened. From personal experience, I can say it's not a word that best describes what victims' families are looking for. Yet, it does offer some solace to put a cap on the justice end of it.
6: I just... I really do hope that Joanne has closure, you know, and her brothers have closure. They do deserve that, you know, to be at peace with this and not have to, you know, wonder any longer. And I, I hope that's, I hope they can do something to provide that peace to her family because they deserve it. They've been through a lot over these last 30 years and no family should have to go through
3: that. That was Marianne Fox, Tammy's good friend. And she captures the essence of what victims' families, at least the hundreds I have interviewed, as well as my own, are searching for. Peace, a way to close the door on the criminal part of it all and remember their loved one as they were. In the days and weeks that followed Tammy's death, the tragedy was a reminder for everyone of the dangers young women face every single day. But more than 30 years later, Tammy's loved ones hold on to memories of her smile, her laugh, her absolute zest for life. Her spirit lives in them.
4: I miss Tammy, I have her picture out. I, I think of what she, where she would be and what she would be doing. I feel like she could have been a very successful young lady.
3: If you are enjoying Paper Ghosts, please listen to my other podcast, Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps, where I use the same storytelling elements you've heard in Paper Ghosts and cover missing person and murder cases. Paper Ghosts is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Christina Everett. Additional writing by our supervising producer, Julia Weaver. Our associate producer is Darby Masters. Audio editing and mixing by Christian Bowman and Abu Zafar. Our series theme, number 442, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.